0: So, Howard, thank you very much for joining me uh, this morning. Um, folks who are listening, um, by way of background, Howard Lindzen is an author, financial analyst, technical analyst, angel investor, uh, and entrepreneur. Um, Howard currently serves as managing partner of Social Leverage, which is an early-stage investment fund, limited partner in Knightsbridge Capital Partners, and is the co-founder of a company called StockTwits. If you don't currently follow Howard on Twitter, you really should. He has some of the more entertaining and insightful tweets. Um, and he was actually named one of the best tweets of the year for your money in 2013 by parents. So, Howard, thank you again for uh, for being with us today. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. Um, we're very lucky uh, and privileged to have you uh, on our podcast. I know you had a chance to visit us in Philly a year and a half ago, so glad we could keep the dialogue going. And yeah, so one, the ground. yeah, So, actually, I wanted to start off, um, you know, I think we really wanted to focus on your perspective on investing, seeing that you've got, you know, all the experience in investing in fintech. Um, but wanted to quickly talk about your background as both an entrepreneur as well as an investor. And, um, you know, currently you're the managing partner of social leverage, and you're meeting with companies basically every day. Um, you know, what are the traits that really stand out to you in terms of you know being a successful uh entrepreneur in financial technology? Well it's fine
1: I mean financial technology is so broad, so you know, I haven't been active in blockchain or Bitcoin. Um so I feel like we're finally at an investable time in that space. I think we're finally getting to the point where entrepreneurs from the industry see the opportunity from inside banks. And so I think we'll get some better, I mean, there's so much regulation, so I think you need a different type of entrepreneur that understands that this is gonna be a really slow, this isn't like going to Silicon Valley, putting a crew together, and getting a consumer uh, product out the door, getting product market fit, and then going, you know, moving along that quickly. These things take forever. I mean, even with StockTwits, we're looking, we're year nine, just try to build a media consumer brand right because uh the industry first of all is not that big while it's important it's not that big secondly there's not a lot of exits in the industry part of that could be for you know 10 years of heavy regulation since the crash and depressed financial stock prices and so you know factoring all that in it has not been a good environment and to be honest until this election ended it you know when it looked like a sure thing that hillary I was going to get elected. Uh, I was actually kind of getting a little bearish on FinTech. So I'm happy to see, not so much who's president or not, I'm happy to see how the market's reacting to this election, okay, give or take who, who won and the behavior and all this thing. The market seemed to be saying, Oh my god, we were just there was just too much pressure on the financials. The regulations were just too much. So the market is speaking, which is really phenomenal uh at at some level for financials and for the stock market because uh rarely lies. So so I'm super bullish for a few reasons. There's gonna be a ton of acquisitions. You know, Goldman and all these banks just got forty percent hopped onto their market cap. Uh they already had tons of cash and 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 it looks like regulations at least are going to slow down. Okay. So now the banks can catch up in terms of either uh, buy, build, invest. And the big banks have already been in the big banks, Goldman and JP Morgan, have already been buying teams and investing in stuff like Plaid. And uh, now uh, the rest of the regional banks can maybe play catch up and start uh, acquiring, building, buying talent. And I think. Uh, what you'll see is the, the companies that have been around two, three, four years that can't get any traction will get tucked into these banks and maybe help change some of the culture of the banks. And some of the new fintech entrepreneurs starting out uh, that have a little better understanding of the landscape and how this industry works will build some of the bigger companies in blockchain, Bitcoin, digital currencies. But, you know entrepreneurs need to really, you know, in fintech, really need to have some domain experience more than any other industry because you can't just slap something together. Um, and then secondly, uh, the capital structures are a lot different in fintech. You know, the exits aren't as big. So so I think entrepreneurs have to come out of the gates a lot more reasonable. This isn't Y Combinator, Silicon Valley type pricing, you know. Because the exits are fewer and far between, and not as high a price, you're not going to get the billion-dollar exits, or at least that hasn't been proven yet. Uh, the, I think cap table expectations and pricing has to be ratcheted down for fintech. Yeah, those are the tips that I would give entrepreneurs. One, manage your expectations early because the valuations won't be as high. And two is, you know, do you really have a passion for this domain because it's eight to 10 years to get these things going in fintech.
0: Yeah. So I guess on the heels of your answer just there, um, the regulators, um, and I know you intimated this just in your, in your answer right now, but the regulators, it feels like they've got a pivotal role to play here. Um, the OCC uh, last year, at the end of last year, basically, um, you know, okayed giving bank-like charters to fintech companies. Um, But on the other hand, the bigger these fintech companies get, the more sort of subject to scrutiny that they'll be. And it feels like the banks have actually used the regulators in some defensive capacity against the fintech companies and sort of the the more uh, disruptive companies. So with that said, how do you see sort of the regulatory environment shaking out from a fintech um, uh, sort of disruption and innovation standpoint?
1: Hmm. You know, when governments evolve, I'm not going to, sorry, I'm not going to comment there because I I just don't have enough expertise talking to regulators. I've avoided them, meaning that I don't want them to even call me. If they call me, I'm doing something wrong. So I think entrepreneurs have to decide if they're going to go into a regulated space, uh, they need to get uh, early and often advice and, and, and dialogue going with their local, you know, FINRA, SEC offices. Okay. So that's just, you can't, it's not like Uber, where you just uh, beg for forgiveness later. I've seen cases right. here with some some founders get slapped by the SEC really early, and, you know, a 50k fine really early, uh, and a letter is just going to scare off investors. And there's just no quick way around it. So what I think is interesting when I'm seeing um, this trend that I'm seeing is especially on where I focus, financial services and the do-it-yourself investor and media. Uh, around finance non institutional type products uh like stock is, you know you had this you have Vanguard, which is the behemoth you know they pulled in two hundred and seventy billion in assets last year, despite the fact that Robo advisors and v c s are going bananas, putting money into robo advisors, which seems to be a non better Vanguard, so you know, for example, betterment raised two hundred million dollars and they have six billion under management you know Vanguard took forty years and last year pulled in two hundred and seventy billion so the Robo space is a really difficult space. It's a commoditized product, and so you have that one area. And then you have a second area where, like Robinhood came into the market and took that last mile of commissions at that eight dollars down to zero. So that's interesting because you know they're the only one that's really attempted this, whereas hundreds of robo advisors have been you know uh, started and funded to go after this thirty trillion coming down from uh, generational pull. Uh, to the millennials and Generation Y, uh, only Robinhood attacked this in the U.S. from a SEC, FINRA, go build a broker-dealer. And they're the ones that have gotten the most traction. So uh, I think you'll see, um, but at the same time, that's a tough road to ask entrepreneurs to go 18 months stealth, build out all the back end, get the SEC approvals, et cetera. So, So I think you'll start seeing some more over the top financial models, meaning working with, you know, the plaids and, and apexes and companies like third party trade, that are coming out and trade that are, do, you know, building the OMSs on top of the, the trading platforms and, you know, and maybe some kind of service built financial economy on top of all the ugly pipes that exist. So, you know, as we've seen in Amazon prime and in Netflix, and all these enterprise software companies now go after, you know, the subscription-based model. I think we're going to start seeing the same thing in the financial model. So multitude of, of smaller Bloombergs that do specific things and build community around their ideas and kind of build their Pelotons and communities. And then, you know, and that comes back to, okay, smaller exits, uh, but lots of exits because, you know, banking is such an important, Industry and finance is such an important industry. So, so, so you're going to see a lot more hybrid type models and over-the-top business models working with the pipes rather than replacing the pipes. That makes sense. And, and you see it in payments, right? How many payments companies are there? And Visa and Mastercard are still at all-time highs and unstoppable. Google couldn't even take on Visa and Mastercard. So it's like the railroads. Um, I think people yeah. are going to start to realize, like, okay, let's stop. Let's finally. Sh- you know, the banks, maybe they should have died, maybe they shouldn't have died. Uh, We hate the banks. We love the banks. The point is the banks are still here. Visa and MasterCard are still here. Apex is still here. SEC and FINRA are still here. Maybe regulations are going to slow down, and that's actually going to help the incumbent banks. So you better figure out how to do business with the banks.
0: Yep, that certainly makes a lot of sense. Um, So, you know, one of the things Howard had mentioned is that banks really have, three different strategies um, to sort of to compete these days with, uh, with quote-unquote fintech companies. One is to organically build solutions. Um, mm-hmm. The other is through acquisition um, you know, that you had talked about. And then the third is a partnership strategy. And it seems like all these strategies sort of work hand-in-hand with one another. Is there one bank or is there a model bank you'd see sort of having sort of the ideal strategy right now? Hmm. No, I mean uh,
1: it's a good question. I, maybe I just don't have the breadth of knowledge. Obviously, Goldman has been the most aggressive uh, in terms of in, investing um, in in startups, and I think that's why their stock has yep. been aggressively. I think you know Silicon Valley Bank has the business of, of convertible debt, and I, I love the stock. Uh, especially in a bull market because they're a bank and uh, a derivative on the rise of the NASDAQ, but they themselves aren't making investments. So that's disappointing. Like Silicon Valley bank could be doing a lot more. So, um, so I don't think anybody's been good at it. And I think it's partly is, you know, entrepreneurs don't want to sell back to the banks. You know, it's not like selling to Google or, or Facebook where you get to, you know, Work on products that affect millions of lives, you know banks are still kind of not a sexy place to sell your company to, but I think they're right. so I think we so so the answer is no and, and and my hope is that that starts to change, and that's part of the reason that, you know you've got to be understanding if you're going to go start a fintech company it's not as not as as sexy and interesting as going to start um, you know in any other type of startup. Because, you know, it's it's
0: the banks. Yep, that uh, that makes sense.
1: Um, but I think we'll see some more. You know, like there's regional banks like Bank of the Ozark, there's Bank of the Internet. Uh, there's a lot of these uh, regional banks that may want to move quickly, use their brand and their reach to move quickly. I just I just haven't seen enough of it yet. Um, But I do think think there's too many credit card startups, and there's too many affiliate startups, and there's too many uh, replacement, you know, millennial bank startups. It's just hard to get customers. And so I think we've got, you know, uh, I think, you know, we need to see some clearing out of this space and and some better business models and some smarter ways to work with the banks to get
0: scale. Yeah, and... On the topic of on that specific topic, I mean, it certainly seems like the reason why Simple sold to a company like BBVA, where they get, um, you know, the distribution and resources that BBVA has, um, but frankly, lever- leverage their technology and sort of consumer interface to sort of bring the best of Silicon Valley with the actual capabilities of a bank. And what the banks really have, to your point, is distribution. So it feels like maybe those types of models come together. And um, very quickly on the topic of um, banks investing in fintech companies, you'd mentioned Goldman's investment in Plaid. Um, I guess how how successful do you actually see this investment strategy as being? Because on one hand, you know these banks are obviously looking for some type of ROI, um, but if they're not, eventually going to buy. The startups that they're investing in, um, what's really in it for them? Is it sort of a test and learn? Is it um, getting smarter in the space? How, how are they really? I mean, what's the what's the upshot for them?
1: Yeah, I'm not inside their heads. I mean, I you know, assuming they're as hated as the reputation proceeds, uh, I I have not liked any of their deals. Like the last person I would want is my investor, if I'm a confident, experienced um FinTech Entrepreneur is a bank is my partner. But now it's 2017. And I think like listen, paying to, you know, I think what is it, fifty million per plaid at a two hundred and fifty million valuation when Yodali had been around forever and is valued at probably half that. Uh it's gonna make it really hard to get an exit. And then the other question is, you know, will other banks want to do business knowing that Goldman gets the data. So so Goldman could have, that may have been just an evil type of Goldman deal where they just squashed the whole idea. Cause you know, makes you not want to do business with Plaid as a startup if you're doing business with Goldman. But again, We're in a different era and Goldman survives, so I don't know how every entrepreneur feels. It's just I'm old and, you know, I still have memories of all the cheating and disgusting behavior. So, you know, it depends how you feel about Goldman. I I don't know. I mean, it really, you know, it's like when a pitcher throws at a a batter, only the pitcher knows. So only Goldman really knows what their intentions are. I think it's up to the founders and the investors to figure out, you know, is this, you know, if, if we take this money from the bank, how does that affect the cap table and acquisitions and growth down the road same kind of decisions as if you would take salesforce money in, in the enterprise space you know most vcs don't want you taking money from corporates uh too early in the process because it limits all the things so that's that, that's the kind of stuff i worry about with plaid but you never know i don't know what the each company's different and maybe the founders took some money off the table yada 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 i don't know so um i think each deal is specific personally it's just like the regular VC business so i was like i think until the company is really set and really has a bunch of customers that it shouldn't take on a corporate uh customer because i don't think the banks really can help you that much because the banks are enemies of the other banks and everybody's trying to compete for the same wallet share and customer so i don't think it's ever friendly You're gonna to be friendly in that space
0: got it and um- so, want to actually shift gears here and talk about a few verticals within fintech and, frankly, get your perspective. Um, so, the first you talked about was robo-advisory. And, um, you know, the broader advisory and, you know, technology-enabled advisory space is one that you're very familiar with um, and, mm-hmm. and, frankly, have built a career in. Um, you, you mentioned that the space has becoming commoditized, at least from a robo-advisory standpoint. Um, how, how do you sort of see things shaking out? Um, uh, in the space, in terms of winners, losers, what the go-forward business model looks like, um, just overall your. I don't
1: think to I don't think there's any winners. Right, Vanguard's the winner. I think uh, if you've been at one of these companies for six years, take your stock and get out, and move into something new. I think blockchain, digital currencies. I think in an era where uh, kids have a cell phone and are connected uh to mood and there's products like direxium that are like trading more than tick individual ticker symbols i think an era where uh the next generation's trading all kinds of weird inanimate objects uh is it is that especially with the ipo market shrinking you know you know markets are going to be created in all kinds of different things so so i think the fact that information is free and robo and and vanguard has finally caught on um is vanguard's a perfect product in many senses of the way so i'm very bearish on the robo investing space so if you want to go work for a robo or start one really really be careful um in terms of helping the next generation on board shit i think the easiest thing to do is like Become a financial advisor. You know, this 30, 40-year-old generation, 20-year-old generation is not going to want a 70-year-old uh, advisor. So I think I think that's just an incredible opportunity for a lot of young people in in business. But they don't think it's a sexy enough business, building relationships and getting a quarter point or half a point for for long-term relationships with millennials. But that's what i would do right now if i was in my 20s and 30s just learn the markets and become a financial advisor um and the fact that no one's doing it is another reason why i love that idea but i think i think teach you know the idea of of helping people understand the markets is phenomenal not just this idea of okay put 30 dollars a month in the S&P 500 set and forget i think that's a hot thing right now but i think we're, you know, the fact that we're all selling this next generation of vanilla product can't be good. You know, it's a question of Baskin and Robbins or vanilla, you know, or Dairy Queen. You know, do you want to give people vanilla? That is, is Vanguard already does that. If you want to give kids Baskin and Robbins, there's a huge opportunity there because I think what, what, what Vanguard did is perfect. And if it wasn't perfect, Google would be competing with them, meaning they've brought the margins down to zero. So you've got to figure out another way to do this. And I think if you look at how Netflix and Amazon Prime have worked, that's going to be the only way to truly win in the financial space. It's this off of this unlimited, uncommon value of customer service, support, product selection, etc., education, mentorship, chat, blah, 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 blah. I think that's going to apply to the financial space as well. Because, you know, on the on the, on the the actual brokerage and transaction side, Robinhood's figured out and other companies will follow along how to commoditize that transaction to zero cost. People shouldn't be tra- paying for the trade. The trade should be a commodity. And so we're finally seeing that last, dollars come out of the industry. So really, for, for, for someone to make money in this space, they got to learn to add value, which is they got to learn to speak the language and teach it to their clients. Or the second thing, as an entrepreneur, they better move into some new area like Bitcoin blockchain and hope that area works, and I think it will, and or uh, figure out how to add value on top of these commoditized services like transactions.
0: Got it. Um that's actually, uh, Howard, a perfect segue to my next question, which is specifically about uh, blockchain and Bitcoin. So, um, you know, there've clearly been a lot of stops and starts in blockchain. And um, we started with uh, version 1.0, which, you know, which Bitcoin was sort of the um, was the flavor of the day. But now, you um, see entrepreneurs are focused on sort of the, the less visible applications of blockchain into you know, banking infrastructure, into trade settlement, into a lot of different other applications. And um, IBM, Accenture, they now have, you know, consulting arms dedicated to helping firms integrate blockchain. And from your standpoint, having seen a lot of different sort of product cycles, um, how real is blockchain now? Um, how, how, how do you sort of distinguish between the hype um, and, and sort of what's really there and what's going to be there in sort of five to 10 years?
1: Um, great question. I think there's some so I was just reading this piece as we speak, a tactical guide to investing in the blockchain. So Nick Temeno Tamino, who used to work at um <clears throat> at Coinbase early on, started a, a a a medium publication called The Control, T H E control at the control. So I think all your all your list, he's a young guy, uh and he's basically uh, built a publication talking about this industry itself, so I'm going to refer to people like that. Um, but I'm bullish, right? Like I, I think you have the trough. It you know Bitcoin. There's every reason Bitcoin should have been zero. Uh, you had the theft. You had uh government after them. You have you know IRS reaching a Coinbase. I mean, if Bitcoin was going to be at zero, it'd be at zero. So I, I look at Bitcoin, and it may not be Bitcoin. It may be Ethereum. It could be some you know. 10 years from now, a currency that really becomes the perfect digital tulip. But but Bitcoin's like a tulip in the sense that it's not really a currency. It's just an asset. It's a commodity with limited supply. And as long as there's limited supply... Uh, there'll be a market for that. You know, if you wake up tomorrow and it found out there's millions more Bitcoins, I mean, obviously it could drop 90%. And that's the risk you take for owning any kind of commodity, right? Discovery of more of that commodity brings the price down. Um, The most interesting thing about Bitcoin is the fact that it it hasn't died, meaning it is like a Wikipedia in the sense that, you know, the, the longer it stays around, the tougher and smarter it gets. And the harder it is to crack it. And like with Wikipedia, what that means is, you know, at the beginning of Wikipedia, people said, oh, it's all going to be fake news or fake things. And how do you control? Is it real? And now when you search Wikipedia and Google or you search a a person's name or a company or an event, uh, the Wikipedia shows up at the top of Google search naturally because the product's good. And. So I think that's the same way I look at something like Bitcoin, which is why I'm long. I in 10 years, if Bitcoin's still around, it's going to be worth a lot more because that's, that's what people are going to think when they think of digital currency as an asset. In terms of the blockchain, I think the original vision of blockchain being this underlying, it's like the internet itself, uh, hasn't happened. And uh, there's some guys at Andreessen and Trembelage trying to build that as a thing. And that's a huge idea, and I'm really excited about that. Meaning, I'd like to build stock twits. It would be awesome if Twitter was built on top of the blockchain because then they wouldn't necessarily need an advertising model, and it would charge you a toll every time you come to Twitter, you would get charged you know, a penny. And that way, at the end of the month, you'd say, oh, I spent 40 bucks going to Twitter. I either can stop going to Twitter because it's too expensive, just like a country club, or 40 bucks is fair everybody wins and I think so that toll idea like building something on top of a superhighway like like blockchain would be really cool and it would really lead to the next stage of growth of the internet because that would take that would get that advertising industry disrupted meaning you know Stockton doesn't want to have ads on the site and you're using our site all day and we can figure out how to charge you you know uh, Satoshi for every three visits you know we could work out some kind of deal uh, and if not us and not Twitter, there'd be new companies that come along built on top of that. So I'm bullish on on that idea. It feels like uh, blockchain's evolving to be diff- different things for different companies. So so I'm not an expert in that yet, but I'm trying to read up on it. And that's why I recommend you know guys like Nick at the Control.
0: Got it. Great. Um. No, you have to hop, Howard. So one last question. So. Yep. You know, fintech since two thousand nine two thousand ten has really become the hot vertical in uh, in vC investing and um, it feels like it's been catalyzed by a few things right one is the retrenchment of banks, the other is you know lack of trust in banks and then the third is just the ease at which companies can start up you know with the help of aWS and all of this cloud-based infrastructure it seems like starting a company is easier than ever and um, you know you've had major fintech companies emerge like the robo-advisors, Stripe, Braintree, Credit Karma, and, you know, last year and at the beginning of this year, it, it feels like there's a shift towards, um, you know, two different verticals in fintech that seem to be getting a lot of hype. One is tech, and the other is RecTech. Um Are there specific areas in fintech now that you are, you know, head over heels, absolutely in love with, you know, want to spend all of your time looking at companies and investing in them? I mean, what... What sort of um sort of pockets within FinTech get you most excited?
1: Oh good question. Uh uh well I'm fifty one, so nothing gets me excited anymore. I wish I was thirty <laughs> like you or twenty five. <laughs> so I don't think what gets me excited matters. Um I think I think what's exciting is 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 that you know, the millennials will probably produce the greatest set of wealth, just like every generation before it. Um so I'd like to say I don't know. I just think I just think get out there and you know start that first company. And and you don't have to start a company it's, you know, As I say, it's okay to be the number 3 or number 4 at a company. I think insurance is over I mean obviously there's a lot of money being thrown at insurance tech. Kind of makes sense, but I just think insurance is going to be treated by the younger generation a lot differently, right? They're not gonna be mm-hmm. approached by salesmen. It's gonna be event driven. They're gonna get a notification. Hey, you got married, you know, do you have insurance? It's gonna be a lot less sexy a business. I would avoid it. I think mm-hmm. I think I just think it's gonna it's really crowded already and the incumbents have so much money and and Facebook exists, the notification market. So unless you have like a, a really good hack, uh to that industry, it's pretty complicated. So that doesn't excite me. And reg tech, just in general, doesn't excite me. I think working, building relationships is, you know, finance is about building relationships. Either you connect with people with money or you manage people's money or you uh, educate people on how to deal with money. So I think it doesn't, In media. Like, so this next generation needs to learn the language. So I'm more interested in stuff that adds value, not in disruption at this point. I just want to get in and get access to that thirty trillion, not go change a bunch of rules this late in the game. i think I think you know so that's so that 's where my head's at is keeping it more simple and not chasing the hot buzz term in whatever the v c s are chasing. I think you really got to know where your passion lies. Does it lie around uh, the customer does' it lie around media does it lie around. Um, customer acquisition or or managing money
0: um, and keep it simple. Got it. Great words to, uh, to adhere to. Howard, thank you so much for your time and sharing your perspective. This is great.
1: Okay, awesome.